the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Hello, everybody. Good afternoon. Beautiful day out there. Uh, I'm back after a couple week absence. Uh, sorry about that, but uh, football's football, right? Let's start off uh, thinking positively. Be yourself. Everyone else is taken. That's Oscar Wilde, the Irishman. And you got to dance like there's nobody watching. You got to love like you'll never be hurt. You got to like, you got to sing like there's nobody in the audience, right? And then finally, live as if you, live as if you were to die tomorrow. Learn as if you're going to live forever. And I think that's Gandhi. And then uh, one of my favorites is. Better to dare mighty things and fail than to live in a gray twilight where there is neither victory or defeat. From Churchill. <laughs> anyway, we always talk about our webpage. So if you go to WHK's webpage, local podcast down to Smart Investor Show, uh, you can get a lot of stuff. We get some new stuff coming up this today. So I would just suggest when you go to my webpage, uh, you know, there's two two areas you really want to look at. I think personally, one is Insight, which is tab up top. We rotate the research there all the time for you, okay? It's good stuff. They name names, folks. They name names. The other area is Bulletin Board, and that's where Rob Schleimer's Trend and Cycle is. Uh, we also have a weekly newsletter, which has got good information, a couple other things I think you'll like. So highly recommend it. Uh, just leave it at that. Uh, you know, this week... Uh, was a rough week, and what's what's interesting, I think, is that uh, the global economy has demonstrated some impressive resilience throughout this pandemic, and it's been buoyed by very accommodative monetary policy, obviously, uh, obviously, and uh, a lot of fiscal spending too. And and but we've had some human ingenuity. Okay, vaccines are proving effective uh, at curbing infections and hospital rates, and. Most economies have largely reopened, enabling consumers, uh, you know, flush with savings to spend again. Okay, so leading indicators for the economy are at levels consistent with somewhat robust growth. Now, a variety of risks could derail, you know, what I consider our benign case, and that's the new virus, obviously, the uh, Omicron virus. It, it prevents a new threat. I think that was uh, indicated. I mean, we've got a double whammy this week in the market. The Fed speak. Uh, you know, he's talking about getting rid of the uh, the free money for a while. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, uh, back in, I think it was September or August, I talked about, well, Rob Schleimer actually talked about it, our head technician. He talked about the 10-year Treasury yield, you know, probably range-bound between 150 and 180. And I think I said that several times on the air. We broke 150. 
And when yields go down, that's usually not a big economic thing. And all the economic numbers this, this week were about 30% behind what people expected. And the employment number was only 210. They were looking for 550,000 new jobs. So I don't know. Where's the inflation? You know, I, I think the Biden administration got bailed out. You know, they used the strategic reserve, oil reserve. And that day, the, the price of oil went up almost $3. OK, but when the Fed speaks, oil got creamed. Matter of fact, all risk, risk off. We went completely risk off this week. It was so bad that the software index was down about 17 percent. Microsoft was down almost $11 Friday. So, look, uh, in this environment, central banks are looking to dial back monetary stimulus, and, ha- and some have already begun you know, outright tightening. Uh, now, a lot of the Europeans are not going to do that. Uh, the Fed started tapering its assets purchases in November, and it's ready to begin raising rates, at least that's if you listen to Powell. So uh, bond yields increased up until this week. Uh, you know, the 10-year and the 30-year, the 30-year Treasury was right around 2.2. I think it finished up at 1.68. So that's a flattening of the yield curve. That's usually showing a slowing. So I'm not sure uh, exactly what's happening. But, you know, we, we uh, well, not me, uh, Lori Calvacina, our head strategist, uh, did a short survey with our equity clients. And, and they're very, you know, we sent it out to and 95 people returned it. So uh, thanks to all those folks. But I think the big things you need to know where they were neutral, don't know, was the most popular response to the question about the outlook for the uh, Omicron, Crone, I'm sorry, with a third of the uh, respondents, but nearly half put themselves into the optimistic or very optimistic camp. So I thought that was interesting. And roughly half saw no impact on the path of tapering. That's very interesting. And roughly half said, they're not doing anything with regard to portfolio positioning until they have more information. And then number four was vaccine efficiency and, and the severity of the disease were the biggest questions on investors' minds. All right. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a fairly um, new problem. Okay. So, I mean, literally, uh, you know, it came about last week. And I guess what happened was one patient in Africa was the actual incubator. Uh, he had he had HIV and uh, COVID, and then Omicron came about. So it's interesting. But the, the emergence of the the, uh, the highly mutated Omicron variant uh, coincides with the upcoming arrival of winter, and that's casting a kind of a shadow on the macro outlook. So I think the Fed plus Omicron together is a one-two punch, which really hit a lot of higher uh, valuation stocks this week. So we'll see what happens. Uh, and I guess what, you know, what people are worried about, you know, look, uh, I think this arrived Friday. We found out about it. Friday, we're down, you know, I mean, I'm going to talk about the VIX here in a second. But uh, Friday, it hit. Risk off right away. Then the Fed spoke and the Treasury Secretary, they were on together. They spoke together and boom, they really racked us. All right. So uh, now we had been talking about being at the top end of the trend line. We're going to talk about that in the second uh, portion of the show. So I guess the question is, uh, with the limited data, uh, you know, a lot of the public officials in South Africa and Israel have observed that 
While Omicron may be the most infectious variant to date, patients infected with the newest variant have so far displayed only mild symptoms, which may be a big time positive. Now, I want to talk a little bit about technical. So on Friday of last week, uh, the New York high-low index indicator had its second one-day reading below 10% in the last week. The one-day reading is calculated by taking the number of New York Stock Exchange 52-week lows, or highs, I'm sorry, for the day, divided by the lows, and then uh, divided once again by the number of 52-week lows. So it, it's an indicator uh, that went below 50% when we hit a new high last week. And now I've been talking about We've been hitting new highs with less and less stocks, uh, you know, for the two two or three weeks before uh, I went off the air for a while, um, and that's that's you know still a scenario. Now, look, stocks are still outperforming bonds, but bonds are still a safe haven. And I guess people say, you know, why do you buy bonds? Well, I buy them because of the safe haven. Uh, and I, I think maybe you know we might might be in some trouble here, but. Uh, Friday's action also called uh, caused the CBOE volatility index or the fear index. It closed at 28.6, an increase of 54%. I think it's the third largest one-day increase in the last decade. So it's the fifth of all time, by the way. So in the fact, over the last 10 years, there have only been 15 occasions when the VIX had a one-day gain of 40% or more. And that, you know, we're talking about 2000. You know, twenty-two. So, look, um, what what's occurred? If we look at the sixty-day drawdown, is usually there's still there's still more. There's about a six percent drawdown. So from Friday till today, or till Friday, I'm sorry, from Friday to Friday, we're down about five point five percent. That's a pretty big hit. So, you know, it it, it should be noted that. Uh, Five of the largest 15 VIX spikes or volatility index spikes, uh, with four of them coming before the 2020 sell-off, uh, the largest negative values across each of the return intervals, as well as uh, the 30-day drawdown, is important. All right, so you, you get a quick, hard, fast drawdown is what we're trying to tell you in so many words. So, uh, look, this week we. Uh, Two years ago, we put out what we called Imagine 2025, and it was a list of stocks, our best ideas for the future. This is not for the trader. This is for the guys that want to invest for the long term. And we, you know, we had the same research group, and they just put out an additional piece. Uh, Graham Pearson, he's our global head of all research. Uh, Andrew Filipardi, he's head of uh, Canada and APAC research, and Mark Oldendahl who's head of U.S. research, and Michael Hall, who's head of European and uh, global research. And they've come up, uh, and I'm kind of pleased to announce that they, they came up with the global U.S. Uh, global research RBC Imagine Best Ideas for the Long Term. Uh, so it, it's, a, it's got a great list. I mean, there's, some of these names have really made some people with a lot of money. Um, and we're, we're also, you know, so... I think there's going to be a couple things that uh, you're going to be looking for. Uh, RBC, imagine what we're going to call it is preparing for hyperdrive. <laughs> Themes will uh, define our new future, and there's a lot of good ideas here. So we'll see what happens. Uh, this week, a lot of these names have been crushed. 
which makes it a pretty good time to be buying things or to be looking into them at least. Uh, so we'll just keep it that way. Uh, also, we have a new piece. At, at, and by the way, you can get those by you know going to my webpage and uh, you know, so you go to WHK down to Smart Investor Show. Go to my, you go directly to my webpage from there. Hit the contact me or email me. But we also have our Global Insight 2022 Outlook, and that's the long-term landscape where we where we think we're going. I think it's a good piece. It's uh, um, and look, the, the two-year-old COVID pandemic has left its mark on on a lot of households and the corporate sector and the economy, uh, all of which have had to adapt to new and changing circumstances. And as 2020 looms, I think the initial catch-up phase of the global uh, economic recovery has given way to an expansion phase. So uh, in our view, the era of the outsized globally synchronized fiscal stimulus and unprecedented monetary uh, policy stimulus is beginning to recede. So we're, we're telling you what we think uh, to where to go from here. Uh, I just, I had two questions uh, and both of them I thought were great questions from, I, I spoke uh, the last time I was on about long-term care was long-term care month. Uh, people ask me, you know, what would you recommend long-term care? And the answer is yes, but long-term care now can be put together with life insurance. And that is basically the cheapest way. Uh, so just remember Medicare and Medicaid uh, they do not pay for long-term nursing care. Okay, so uh, th that was a question that just came in on the internet. So uh, anyway, so where are we? Um, I'm also supposed to say at this point, this is a live show. You got a question? Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Now, the Dow Industrials pulled right back at to its 200-day moving average and just creeped below it on Friday. So it'll be interesting. Now, exactly three, uh, four weeks ago, I said that utilities and staples seem to be doing better. Guess what was up on Friday and Thursday? Staples and utilities, all right? A couple of utilities were up 10, 10 15%. Uh, now, there's some news around those, but they're still utilities. So I think... We've gone from a short-term overbought level at the beginning of November, uh, you know, following a very impressive 10% rebound in September and October. You know, that was Tom Lee, you know, from Fundstrade. He talked about the everything rally. Uh, and so now we've come back to moderately oversold uh, levels. I don't know what happens from here, but uh, I think, you know, there's been some technical damage in the markets, which you can't ignore, okay? Nobody can. Uh, for an overall view, uh, I don't think my view has changed. We're still in a long-term secular bull market. Now, there are bear moves in bull markets, simple as that. Uh, but we are now suitably oversold for, you know, uh, at least a trading bomb to develop. I don't know if it's going to occur, but, uh, you know, I, I think there's some uh, – I guess the real problem is the support is down about another 8% from here, uh, major support. Uh, so we got to kind of hold here, and then that's the important part. Um, but if you look at the momentum figures, uh, you know, I think we're down 5%, and uh, the momentum figures have come to slightly oversold, over, uh, not terribly oversold, but slightly. So I think uh, that's that's a problem. Now, the Russell 2000, which I said had broken out the last time we talked together, uh, broke back into the, the uh, consolidation. So eh, I thought the small caps were going to lead the way. I don't think that's going to be the case now. But 
they are deeply oversold as of now. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, where we go from here. So uh, look, uh, there's some concerns here. Cyclical stocks, the most sensitive to the economy, rebounded strongly in September, uh, but then pulled back like crazy in November. They don't look so good. Uh, and then there's some, you know, understandable concerns regarding the Omicron virus, uh, obviously, and comments from the Federal Reserve. Uh, and I think there's going to be some tax loss selling, you know, going into the end of the year, because uh, I think next year we're going to find out about a new tax plan, which ought to be interesting. Uh, you know, I, I looked at uh, the charts and the back, the bank index is, again, testing support. Uh, and that, that been a leader. And the transports is pulling back uh, to first support, coinciding with the May 2021 highs, by the way. And then finally, the materials sector uh, index failed to break out in October, stalling at the May highs. I don't know if that's good or not. Uh, so, you know, some of the more economically sensitive ideas out there have not done what we wanted to do. Okay. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about is about three years ago, I talked about uh, a conference that we had, uh, the Technology, Internet, Media, and Telecom Com Conference. And that was the start of a takeoff of software companies that like I've never seen before. I mean, they just phew, rocket ships. I mean, some of them were up, you know, a couple I bought last summer were up three, four hundred percent. I sold half of them, uh, five hundred percent in one case. Uh, now they've beat them up in the last like three, three weeks. They've just beat them up. All right. Uh, and this is before the Omicron virus. So they're, they're beating them up and, they, and they've been ex exceeding their earnings. And they've been guiding higher, and they're still beating them up. So obviously they were overvalued. But uh, the the conviction ideas, the high conviction ideas, uh, we have a piece for that, and I think it might be a really good idea that uh, you send in for that. So once again, you go to WHK fourteen twenty, uh, go to the local podcast down to Smart Investor Show Tim Hayes, hit the contact me or email me while you're there. Look into insights. There's a lot of good research here. Hey, let's take a break. This is the Smart Investor Show. Remember, if you've got a call, if you've got a question, 216-901-0945. Stay tuned. On AM 1420, the answer. And Odyssey. Okay, we're back. Uh, little rock and roll for the afternoon. You know, um, I read an interesting report this week, and, you know, everybody's into this ESG, environmental social governance. And you know what's becoming an interesting theme is that a lot of people are talking about mining and gold as an ESG product. So uh, we put out a piece this week, and it was very well written. Uh, that, you know, we're, we're talking about that ESG in mining has become a prominent sector theme. Uh, you know, it's kind of a challenge to report it because there's a lot of inconsistencies out there. But we have compiled a standardized environmental matrix for 120 plus mines across uh, our coverage. And I think that's going to be a very, very, very interesting. Now, we highlighted three companies, which I'm not going to tell you on the air. Uh, but we compared the companies across ESG metrics, 
and remain in a, a work in progress type of scenario. Uh, you know, so the path to net zero will vary significantly, <laughs> I think, in, in my humble opinion. So it'll be very interesting going forward to see, uh, you know, how this works for us. I, I'd be interested to see, uh, you know, the potential uh, for, I think there's two big things going, you know, let me go forward. First of all, gold is gold. Okay. And it's been around for 3000 years, you know, it, and it doesn't have the volatility that Bitcoin does. Now Bitcoin was down 20% last week. So, I mean, it, Bitcoin's going to drive people crazy after a while. Uh, but there's a lot of high grade developers out there that are probably going to get acquired. And there's some low grade uh, people out there that are probably going to get acquired. So, we, we had a couple key takeaways here. Um, the resource sectors uh, ranked among the leaders on ESG disclosure. How about that, huh? Uh, but they trail on the overall ratings, okay? So, you know, BlackRock isn't uh, loading up on them is what I'm trying to tell you. Uh, portfolio composition will dictate the path to net zero. And what I mean by that is producers have largely committed to net zero emissions by 2050. Uh, so, you know, that'll be important. That that'll It'll gain more stature. And greater actions needed to combat rising emissions uh, from the, you know, mining area, obviously. Also, that what they're working on is leaving the land as it was, okay, or as close as they can get it. So I think, uh, there, like I said, there's potential for M&A. I, I think there's going to be a uh, – they'll play – by the way, the M&A, the people who will be buying will be the guys that put the most emphasis on the ESG-type scenario. And the wind and solar energy fo uh, is a focus, but remains small at present. So they're they're ramping up their wind and solar to run their uh, their mining operations, which is good. Um, the, the one thing that they're getting criticized for is that the governance has improved, but their workforce diversity has uh, stagnated. So for all those people out there that uh, you know think that's that's important, that's another thing to talk about. Now. Uh, I, I want to emphasize something again, okay? I'm, I'm going to talk about this for a while now. If if you look, if you if you went back to 1990, all right, uh, and you know if you put a hundred bucks in to a dividend growth portfolio, you'd now have about thirty-eight hundred dollars. It's a heck of a return. If you if you did it in dividend stocks where they were dividend payers, but they had no growth. Uh, you'd have about a half of that, and if you just had it in the S and P 500 total return, you'd have two thirds of it. So, dividends have been 45 percent of the return on the S and P 500 now for almost 70 years since 1950. Okay, so dividends are important. Growing dividends. Uh, you can't fake dividends. It's that simple. So consistent dividend growth requires consistent revenue and earnings growth. High-quality businesses with strong competitive positioning are typically able to deliver that consistent growth. And by the way, they don't have to have the highest dividend yield, okay? I I know one company that I just bought for a gentleman on Friday when the market was down hard that has a 1% dividend. But they're raising it every year, 6 to 8%. You know, look, uh, I have people that have owned Abbott Laboratories for 15, 20 years. 
And their dividend yield was 2% back then. It's 2.9% now. But the stock's gone, you know, from like $8 to 130 <laughs> in the meantime. So the dividend growth is there. And you see, the potential for outperformance of dividend growth stocks makes intuitive sense since their investment returns are driven by growth and not just valuation or multiple changes, okay? So stocks of high-quality businesses that deliver consistent growth tend to receive premium valuations and multiples compared to their peers. It's just it's simple mathematics. Uh, investors of types uh, value growing dividend income streams. Look, if you're 40 years old, all right, and, and you think you know, you're going to retire when you're 65, just imagine if you buy whoever it is as they, you know, I mean, Microsoft started a dividend 12 years ago, 13 years ago. It was, uh, it was two, uh, 2006, I think they started a dividend, okay? Their dividend is still is at the same percentage as it was back then, and the stock was at 22 bucks. It was down 10 Friday, and it's still 340. Okay, so great companies usually have have consistent cash flow where they can pay you the dividend. So that's something to think about. So uh, now, just think if you had when you were 40 had bought Microsoft and wrote it all the way up, you would now have a huge gain in the same dividend yield. So your dividend yield from your original purchase will probably be in the nine ten percent range. All right, that's a good. And by the way, if if you were to use that dividend to buy more stock at forty, by the time you get to sixty five, you know how many shares you'd have, and then you just stop the dividend reinvestment and start using the money to pay your bills. It works. Trust me, I have numerous clients that have been doing it. Uh, Look. There's some of the great companies out there are dividend growers, and just remember that. So, look, older investors tend to, uh, to most highly value growing dividends, help meet their current income needs. It acts as a buffer against inflation, and the demographic trends are very favorable for dividends. Uh, you know, the percentage of the population over 65, but the people who are 40, you know, I, I talked to a guy for just just the other day, okay, and. He's 40 years old and he wants to be the massive trader. Okay. He, you know, he has a, an account at Robinhood and he just, he talked about the trade, the trade. Uh, you can do that a little bit, but you know what? Be smart about it. That 40 year old, if he would invest in really the high quality dividend aristocrat now, you know what happened when he was 65? So think about that folks. You know, so, we have a, a dividend growth portfolio, uh, which is a dynamite product, by the way. Uh, I've been using it for years. And if you look at last week, while a lot of the high-tech stocks were getting bit hammered, the dividend growth portfolio was up. It was up. All right? So, uh, you know, we, we we I think that that's important. Let's just put it that way. And look... Uh, I think we believe that the current outlook for dividend growth investing is very attractive. Dividend growth stocks have really underperformed growth stocks for the last couple of years. And so uh, it's a very attractive valuation relative to the broader market after, you know, they underperformed uh, during the pandemic. 
And we believe, you know, you get stronger economic growth. Some of these dividend stock yields are also appear attractive relative to corporate bonds, too, by the way. So, uh, I mean, look, the average return on an investment-grade corporate bond right now is 2%. The average yield on high-yield bonds is 4.5%. Both yields are historically low. uh, But if you compare it to the dividend, 1.3 dividend yield of the S&P 500, by the way, it's growth stocks. They're 1.3%, you know, could be going higher. So dividend growth. Hey, let's take a break. Uh, this is Smart Investor Show. If you have any questions, 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. <clears throat> You know, I've been off a little off kilter the last couple of days, and uh, uh, I wanted to talk about the long view. But, you know, I know a lot of our our uh, people out there are listening. Uh, we talk about the bullish percent. And uh, to give you an idea how volatile the last two weeks were, we were at 58 in a column of X's uh, a week ago Friday, uh, two weeks ago Friday. We are now at 44% in a column of O's. <laughs> So uh, I think the the virus plus the Federal Reserve, you know, the one-two punch there uh, really whacked us hard. So, uh, by the way, the over-the-counter index is at 38%. It was down 12% week over week. Uh, so the, the over-the-counter stocks, the small stocks, the Russell 2000, really got hammered hard. Um, as I said, software was down 17% in five days, software index. That's a that's a big thing. Now, I did see a couple things, and, and then I'm going to go into the long view because I think this is very important to s- discuss right now. Uh, there's a thing called a two-bar reversal, which a lot of traders use, uh, and sometimes people who are investing who miss the first move look for these to buy, okay? And, you know, look, I talked about oil back in – in January of this year, oil was still one of the best performing groups. Uh, you know, our top small cap pick uh, is still up 40% uh, from then. So 45% to be exact. Uh, so we had a, a two bar reversal in oil and in the industrials. Uh, so that might be a place to, you know, with the interest rates coming down as fast as they have. I mean, we've basically gone from 172 to 136 in a week. And believe me, on the bond market, at the, at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, a lot of people lost money. And a lot, I mean, trillions of dollars were won and lost uh, on a move like that. And then we had kind of a mild case <laughs> in the financials. Okay. I, I don't want to call it uh, a, a great, you know, it, it, it's not as, substantial as uh, the oil and the industrial. So uh, that might be an area to like uh, a bottom pick a little bit. But the bullish percent is in a column of O's. So remember, that's, that was designed by uh, a protege of Charles Dow. It's just a chart that goes from zero to 100. And uh, when you get over 70, that's the red zone. That's when things are too hot to handle. Everybody's talking about their portfolio, that type of thing. Under 30, that's when we're wiped out. That's when you should be buying. When we're over 70, you should be selling. When a column of X's, usually have the offensive team on the field. When you have a column of O's, you have the defensive team on the field. 
we have the defensive team on the field. But remember, right now, domestic equities are still the number one asset class, okay? Uh, back in 2007, 2008, they were the lowest form of life. And we said that on the air. We talked about the money market would outperform the stock market back then. For four months, we talked about it. And we were right, all right? So we'll just leave it at that. Uh, right now, though, we're in a column of O's. So I think you want to be a little more careful. I do believe the dividend growth stocks will start to outperform. Now, let's talk about the long term. In the U.S. equity market, and you know, we 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 can only really go back to the nineteen eighteen ninety five. Okay, we have these generational cycles. They last about seventeen years, sixteen to eighteen. And uh, like in the 30s, we had deflation, then we had reflation, then we had inflation, then we had disinflation, then we had deflation again, and now we might be into reflation area. So uh, these 17, you know, and depending on who you talk to, uh, you know, Bob Dickey thought we started in 2015 or 14. Uh, Bob Schle Rob Schleimer thinks that we, we started uh, right after the election, 2016. So uh we we also have uh if you look from 1900 to 2021 we have declines we have with uh drawdowns in the market uh from three year highs usually so we have what i'm saying is we have a four year cycle too within that 17 so every seven you know let's say you go 16 years you're going to have four up and down cycles so it's not like we go straight up all right it doesn't work that way so what you got to do is be smart enough to uh, think long term and also, uh, you know, buy when things are down. Now, I'm getting real interested right now. And I'll tell you why. I, I saw numerous software companies that blew the cover off the ball. And now they're overvalued. They got beat up. Uh, but they blew the cover off the ball in their earnings and they guided up and they still whacked the stocks. I own I own one. All right. So. I'm going to be looking at that, and I noticed, by the way, the insiders, I'll mention this uh, on the insider buy list next time, uh, in the next part of the show, insiders were buying, all right? But we do have this repetitive four-year cycle to consider. Now, we had a low in 2020, had a big year, and we're going to 2022, and it'll probably be a wishy-washy year. 2023 will be a, another wishy-washy year. Then we'll probably start, you know, after maybe a sell-off, we'll start that four-year cycle again. So. Uh, the one thing we always talk about, you know, or I always talk about is if I look at the uh, four and the 13 month moving averages on a monthly chart, there's a couple things about the monthly chart that you got to understand. Number one, when you have an uptrend, you draw lines above on the top of all the highs and draw lines on the lows. And that's your uptrend. We're at the top of the trend line. All right. so. The problem is, <laughs> is the top of the trend line to the bottom of the trend line is about 18.5%. All right, so that's what you got to worry about. But also, if I look at the, the momentum histogram, it's very overbought. One of the most overbought situations we've seen in a while. But we're still, we still have the four month over the 13 month, which is usually a bullish scenario. What you worry about is when the four month drop, drops over the 13 month. Uh, that's not usually a good sign. That's usually when bad things happen. That's what uh, I was talking about in February of 2020, and I and I said you should be getting uh, you should be looking for 
uh, an opportunity to to raise cash. That's what was starting to happen. So we, that's what you worry about. All right. And the other thing is uh, monthly. Uh, if I still look at the S and P 500 monthly chart versus bonds, it's still better to be in the S and P 500 <laughs> uh, versus bonds. Uh, although bonds are a good place to to be involved uh, in periods like this. Uh, that's why people have them now. There is a portfolio theory out there that says if you're 70, 70 percent of your portfolio should be in bonds. I don't think that's going to be the case for a couple more years uh, before bond yields get more normalized. And uh, we'll leave it at that. Uh, The emerging markets, you know, they kind of broke out and then they died. But the relative performance is still not. uh, And I'm looking, uh, by the way, at the, the, you know, the Morgan Stanley corporate index. The relative performance versus the S&P 500 is still not there, all right? Europe has broken out, but the relative performance still is not what the S&P 500 is. And by the way, uh, the foreign markets got whacked a lot harder than the domestic markets. Isn't that interesting? So uh, something to think about, you know, over the course of next year. Now, one of the things I keep hearing about is, you know, interest rates. I'm really worried about interest rates. I'm going to tell you, interest rates peaked in, at 1980, <laughs> and we haven't seen anything that tells me that they're going to break out. Okay, they've been in this downtrend, and uh, you know we got we got to you know the lowest ever. Uh, now we bounced a little bit from the bottom into uh, 2020, but we're nowhere near the uptrend line. So I'm not seeing anything that's going to tell me. Uh, you know, that the downtrend that began basically in, in 2000, I mean, 1981, it remains down. It's it's lining up a 62 to 76% retracement band of 2080, uh, 2018 to 2020. Would, you know, so I don't see anything yet that tells me that the lowest interest rates in the history of mankind are going away. Remember, Germany still has negative interest rates. Our two and five year are still negative on a real basis. So it's something to think about, and it's. Uh, I, I think that people have to understand, you know, what we're seeing. Now, one of the things, one of the enigmas out there has been the U.S. dollar. Uh, the longer term trend, trend for the U.S. dollar remains down, but it's, it's had this bounce, and it's been it's been bouncing on uh, the the interest rate spike that we you know we went up from like one, uh, basically you know a half a percent up to one eighty one ninety. And then bounce back. But we're at the downtrend line dating back to 19, oh boy, I want to say 85. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see if we can break above that. Uh, I I don't see anything, you know, that could stop it, really. I mean, the momentum uh, indicators are still pretty oversold. Uh, So it'd be interesting to see what happens there. Now, the euro yen uh, is also something we should take a look at because that's a key. Uh, to the industrial stocks, as I think, uh, I well, I've been told, so uh, I believe uh, what they're talking about. But the euro yen currency pair, uh, it bears monitoring over the coming quarters as the barometer of global investor risk appetite. It's also uh, I, it, it's it's a breakout above like 134 would signal a bullish backdrop for cyclicals. I think. And while a break back below 127 would support a more cautious look. Okay. So uh, that's interesting. Now, 
What's also interesting is the Canadian dollar, you know, uh, RBC is a Canadian firm, uh, broke broke out against the U.S. dollar. And I think that's mostly because of, uh, uh, you know, the oil situation. Now, the other thing I think that was interesting is, you know, copper. You know, Dr. Copper, we always call it Dr. Copper because Dr. Copper, when it's going up, it always has a uh, a prescription for the economy. Uh, when it's going up, the economy is doing pretty well. And if you look at Dr. Copper from 2012 till now, had a, a big down thing, and now we're up testing that old high from 2012. If we were to break through there, I think uh, things would be very, very interesting. Now, the ratio of copper versus gold had broken out and then pulled back. All right. So now we, oil has broken out from that 2009 thing. And I think the other thing that you should take a look at is gold. Gold, if you look at the, you know, going back to 2010, gold is in this big cup and handle formation. And if it were to break over, I would say 2080, it would be very significant. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Hey, let's take a break and we'll be right back with Insiders, Smart Investor Show. Once again, if you have a question, 216-901-0945. Stay tuned. talk about insiders remember we, well we started out with a strategy and then we talked about the markets a little bit then we talked about one particular part of the markets at dividend growth and we talked about some technical things for the long run okay long run investors usually do better Ber- berkshire hathaway has done very very well by taking a long-term view uh now we talk about insiders and i think the <laughs> the, the one that uh, captivated me the most was uh Dustin Moskovitz, who was one of the founders of Facebook, uh, he also bought a bunch of Asana, which he is now president, CEO, and chairman of. And he paid 100 bucks for it. And they blew the cover off the ball in their earnings and guided it up. And they're now at 60, 66, 65. I mean, they just killed. It didn't matter. CrowdStrike beat their earnings. They beat them up. Uh, so they were beating up the, the software companies. Maybe they were a little bit overvalued. That's Maybe they were largely overvalued. I don't know. I just want you to know that Mr. Muscovitz just bought 250,000 more shares on Friday. So that's kind of interesting. Um, also, Persigen, Randall Kirk hasn't been around for a while. He bought uh, a million shares of Persigen, P-G-E-N. Uh, and we had a couple other names that I thought was uh, were interesting. I, I noticed some pensions bought Palatin, Snow, and uh, Dollar Tree. And then just recently, uh, Chet Susan, who's a very smart man, bought CDLX. He bought 2.5 million of that, and PRTY. He bought 2.5 million of that. So that's uh, a very interesting too. And then finally, uh, Volcon, uh, a director, bought 2.7 million. They're they're very interesting uh, company. And then Warby Parker, uh, Diecap, bought 31.1 million dollars worth of stock on the new issue. And then Uber's CEO bought $9 million worth of stock, 8.98 to be exact. Uh, so that's that's interesting. A couple other names that I thought were very interesting. And this is this guy's out of his mind, must be. But Gaius Sutayan, uh, Outlet Therapeutics, which just got hammered. It's down to a buck thirty-three now. He stepped to the plate and bought 16 million shares. It's $20 million. So 
if he's playing with real money, <laughs> that's not jump change. And then uh, Kupang, which is from South Korea, uh, Green Oaks Capital, which is pretty smart money, uh, bought $12.2 million worth. And then uh, Qualtrics, which is a software firm, which got creamed. It was in the 50, I think just short of 50, is now 32. They bought a couple times uh, $9.8 million each, 9.88 to be exact. Uh, and then they came back a couple days later and bought uh, $7.4 million worth. So, you know, they, they obviously like the stock. Uh, another name, the, the BVF Partners, smart money. Uh, there's a company called Olama Pharmaceuticals, which was 20. It's now 10. And they stepped up to the plate at, at 939 and bought $6.9 million worth. Um, that, they're pretty smart guys. I've, I've watched them in the past. So, And then our favorite guy, you know, one of the two smartest guys, I think, in the oil area, well, three smartest guys, the Duncan family at Enterprise Products, uh, Richard Kinder, and then Harold Hamm. Harold Hamm twice bought his Continental uh, resources, uh, and he bought $5.5 million, and well, he bought $10 million worth of stock is what it comes down to. Jack Schuler, who's been buying accelerated diagnostics for a long, long time, bought another million shares, uh, $5 million worth. Uh, I think he owns probably 18, 19 million shares. And by the way, Jack is no dummy. Jack was, I, I think, uh, he was co co-chair or something like that at Abbott. So he's no dummy. He's been around the block a couple of times. And then site services, uh, which, you know, had been as high as uh, 35 is now 26. There is two, two buys that I thought were kind of interesting, uh, both to the tune of, uh, ah, sorry, my, my system's slow here, uh, about you know, $10 million. So we'll just leave it at that. And then uh, Six Flags, you know, which is down and out. It's been 48, now 36. Uh, Eric Ruchem uh, bought uh, 3.8 million, then he bought 3.7 million dollars worth. Uh, that's quite a bit of uh, uh, stuff. And then he came back three days later and bought 1.8 million dollars worth. So he obviously likes the stock. Uh, Allegheny, which is the big insurance company, uh, we had uh, the president uh, Joe Brandon. He bought about 3.2 million dollars worth. Oh, you know what? I forgot to mention that. Uh, there was also a, a director at Site Services that bought uh, 1.6 million too. So, to, and Kennedy, Kennedy Lewis Management bought F45 Training Holdings. Uh, you know, the stock was uh, up around 16. It's now 1070, and they bought it uh, numerous times. By the way, um, about uh, five, six million dollars. And, and by the way, the CEO bought uh, 1.1 million. Uh, There's a couple other people. Uh, uh, you know, just a lot of buys on that stock. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what they do. Uh, I think they're in the fitness business, obviously. I'm not sure what they do yet, though. Uh, also, uh, you know, Evergy, uh, which, you know, we had some serious buying back in the early part of November. Uh, they've come back, and they, I, it's John Wilder. Uh, he's the director there. He's probably bought about six times to the tune of about $3 million worth. Um, I forgot to mention also that uh, the president of Six Flags bought about half a million dollars worth too. You always like to see that. And then uh, here's the name, uh, uh, Ernie Rady, who was the chairman of uh, American Asset Trust. He's been buying this thing all along and he stepped up to the plate and bought another 20,000, 30,000 shares, something like that. Um, and uh, that that turns out to be about $1.5 million worth. 
a couple other names that I, I noticed that uh, showed up on my charts uh, is Malin Life Services. Uh, there's a Poseda Therapeutics, which is like a $7 stock. And then uh, Vichet Precision Group. Uh, we've had uh, numerous buyers, just not a lot of stock. Okay. Um, and then also uh, MTP in, Ingredients, which is at a new high. And, and there's a group that owns 10%. Uh, the Lux family, and they've been buying uh, quite a bit of that stock too. So, uh, you know, they're not uh, holding back at all. And we did have uh, uh, our folks at Cleveland Cliffs. They continue to buy. This time it's Celso Gonclave. Uh He's the, uh, I think he's the CFO. I love when CFOs buy. And, you know, uh, we had the CEO buy, uh, I think the last time we met, <laughs> which is about a month ago. So a lot of insider buying here. A couple other names that I noticed. Um, uh, where am I? Oh, uh, our friends at uh, Berkshire Hathaway bought uh, LSXMA, that's Liberty Media. Uh, they bought $20 million worth. That's Ted Weschler, who most people think are, is the heir apparent to Warren Buffett. He ran a hedge fund for a long time. Now he's long only. Uh, but they bought $20 million worth. So uh, that's a really interesting one when, uh, you know, you have... Uh, uh, people uh, like Berkshire buying. Uh, they also s- bought some Royalty Pharma, which is uh, a name that I haven't seen in a long, long time. Uh, and then a couple other names that we, we thought were, were kind of interesting. And, and this, uh, well, we'll just leave it at that. Anyway, so let's get back to uh, where we were. And I think this is important. And I'm, I'm going to go over this one more time because I think it's very, very important. Uh, look, we have some things that are, that are broken down a little bit, all right? So we want to be cautious over the next week. We're not below 30 on the bullish percent. The over-the-counter index, we're getting there. We're at 38, all right? But we're still at 44%. But we did drop from 58 to 44. Believe me, that's a big drop. That is a big drop in the bullish percent in two weeks. Uh, I've been doing this a long time, and usually it takes – you know, it uh, takes a while uh, unless you have something like uh, that occurs like, uh, you know, back in uh, the spring of uh, 2020. Uh, so but e- even like uh, 1987, you know, which I watched occur and, you know, I was actually had some put options <laughs> on the OEX for five or six clients during that period. It took months, to, you know, months to occur. All right. So uh, this one, you know, we we've been talking about the advanced decline line going sideways. The advanced decline line, if we just look at the advanced decline line for just stocks only, has not hit a new high in five months. Okay. It has not. So what we're having is the market going up with less and less participants, which we've talked about. Now we've kind of washed out. And I think they've, some of the more overvalued stocks are getting whacked. (laughs) So that happens occasionally. You got to take it, you know, take it or leave it occasionally sometimes. Uh, but I think the important part is that, you know, we don't let uh, anything get taken, you know, don't let yourself get taken away and say, hey, I'll buy this or buy that. You know, let things settle down a little bit. Let them let the volatility come back down a little bit. Volatility is up there where it's, it is popped out about 40% of the times. All right. So the other thing we have to take a look at is, you know, if it goes up a little bit higher, the buying opportunity might be better. So I think technically we have some support areas 
you know, the Russell's at 2100. So that's, uh, you know, you've got to be paying very close attention to that, I think, because uh, if that breaks down, we're in trouble. And then the next one is 4,400 on the S&P 500 is, is the next support. So we want to hold through that area, in my humble opinion. Uh, so what would I do now? The dividend growth list. Dividend growth list, our 2020 uh, global insight, you know, what's going to happen next year. Also, our, our conviction ideas from the, the uh Technology, Internet, Media, and Telecom Conference. Uh, that's that's all good stuff. Uh, you know, it's available to you if you if you like. Uh, also, our Imagine, our best ideas, our high conviction ideas as we go into what we call hyperdrive. <laughs> uh, you know, thinking thinking forward, but thinking forward 10, 15 years. Okay, not two or three months. Uh, that's how you make money in the stock market. So. You go to WHK1420, put a local podcast down to Smart Investor Show. Like I said, we have some good stuff. The the global ideas, uh, you know, I think are is a fantastic way to uh, look at things. Uh, you know, they've got some really good ideas there. Uh, our dividend growth portfolio and our technology, internet, media, and telecom conference. That's all good stuff. Uh, in the meantime, have a great weekend. We'll talk soon. I think uh, I'm going to be on Christmas Day, they said. Okay, so uh, what a way to spend Christmas. (laughs) Anyway, have a great weekend. This is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Remember, buy low and sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.